Well, if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 14? Romans chapter 14. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, uh, there should be one in front of the, the pew rack right in front of you there. We're on page 948. 948. So it's going to help you to have that open as we go through, because we're just going to go through and talk about kind of line by line what you're going to see in this, this section of, of God's Word. Romans chapter 14, page 948 in the pew Bibles there in front of you. Well, as we come to Romans chapter 14, we, we find ourselves uh, at, at the pinnacle of the book's application. So the whole book, in one sense, has been moving toward this section right here where Paul is going to help this church learn how to love each other despite some serious differences that, that they had with each other and some differences that were, that were threatening the unity of, of the church. So let me, let me kind of paint the picture for you, set the scene. There's, there's this church in Rome, and they're made up of Jews and Gentiles who have both trusted in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior and their Messiah. So they agree that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him. They believe that most foundational doctrine of what it means to be, to be a Christian. They're unified on that. But there's disagreement about what it means to worship that God rightly. And the disagreement centered around a few particular things. Food, days, and drink. Food, days, and drink. Now, all of those things were tied to the question of whether or not believers in Jesus who are under a new covenant, as God promised, had to obey the ritualistic laws of the old covenant. So if you've ever read through uh, the Old Testament you've, and come to Leviticus, you've probably noticed a whole bunch of commands that God gave to Israel about what they could eat, what they could wear, and how they were supposed to worship him. Well, when, when Jesus came, he fulfilled all of those laws perfectly. And then he died on the cross to take the punishment for all of the ways that we disobeyed those commands. And the other, the sum of the 613 commands. But in this church in Rome, and really in all of the early churches, you see it all the way through the New Testament, the big question was, but are we really free from all those commands? You know, many of the Jews and the Gentiles here, they would, they would disagree on the answer. So, so do you have to eat kosher food to be honoring to God? Can you mow your lawn on the Sabbath and still be pleasing to God? Can you drink wine and be pleasing to God? Now, these questions of food, days, and drink are important for a lot of reasons, but supremely, we would say, because they center around the issue of fellowship. If you can't eat and drink together, you're not going to be able to fellowship very well. And if you can't fellowship, there will not be true unity. So you've got this church who are going to be, it's filled with people with differing convictions. You've got weak, the weak brothers is what Paul is going to call them in Romans 14, who are convicted in particular ways that they're supposed to not do or supposed to do certain things. And you've got strong brothers, is the way he's going to phrase it, who are free and realize that Jesus has, has fulfilled all of this. And there's this, this tension. And the question that we're going to be talking about this morning is, can Christians with different convictions on important but non-essential issues get along? 
Can Christians love one another despite their differences and still honor God? Paul says, yes, you can. There's a way to do that. And really, there's only one way to do that. They most, must both look to Jesus, who is their righteousness. He is going to be the one who is going to be able to bring peace between people who have very strong and passionate convictions about non-essential issues. He's the one who's going to be able to do that. That's why Romans chapter 14, you're going to notice on both ends of it, he, he points to Jesus. Look at chapter 13, verse 14. It's the last verse before chapter 14. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Those desires in the context are going to be bickering with each other and judging each other because of differing opinions. And then at the end of the section, chapter 15, look at verse 7. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Jesus serves as the bookends on this this section. He has shed his blood for our sins and now... He has welcomed us. He has shown us mercy and loved us. And now we as a church, and this church in Rome, we're commanded to love each other in the same way. Welcome each other as Jesus has welcomed you. That's what chapter 14 is really all all about. And because there's a lot of stuff here, we're going to be in this this chapter for the next two weeks. All right? So... Uh, you're not going to hear the same sermon next week, but there's going to be a different angle on it, okay? So this, this Sunday, we're going to be in verses 1 through 12, and then part of chapter 15, and then next week, we're going to be in verses 13 through 23, kind of see a, a look at a different issue with this same, same subject, all right? So what we're going to do now is I'm going to read for us Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, and then I'm going to read the first part of chapter 15. So would you follow along with me here? Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, and just pause, that's the one who's convicted that they're to do or not do certain things, okay? As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another it is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand one person esteems one day is better than another while another esteems all days alike each one should be fully convinced in his own mind verse 6 The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, 
Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now move down to chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever is written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 15.5 May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So that's our text this morning. And to help us think about this, we're going we're to highlight three big ideas, okay? Opinions, posture, and perspective. Opinions, posture, and perspective. What I mean by that is that Christians have differing opinions about non-essential issues of conviction. And our posture toward each other should be one of grace, not of judgment. Which we keep in perspective by remembering that one day, God will judge us. So let's talk about opinions first. Look again at verse 1 of chapter 14. Opinions, number 1. Verse 1 says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions the ESV Christians have differing opinions about issues that are important but that are not essential so what we're talking about in this section are not primary issues like is Jesus God is hell real are we saved by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone or is the Bible true those are essential issues that all Christians should agree on Okay, so that's, that's not what we're talking about here in chapter 14. This church already says yes, amen to those things. But what they say, yeah, but hold on, about in chapter 14 are matters of opinion, conscience, persuasion of the heart that Christians disagree on. For instance, look down at verse 5. One person esteems. See that word? Esteems. This is how they view it. One day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Then look down at verse 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So again, these are issues of opinion, issues of conscience. Now, for the Roman church... One issue was, was food. So do you, do you have to eat kosher food? Because the Old Testament law said that some food was unclean. And because of that, it was hard for some of the Jews to just change the way that they thought about those foods, even though Jesus said that all foods were now clean. 
I mean, that was their whole life. They viewed certain foods as unclean, and now Jesus in Christ said, listen, you're not under the old covenant. You're now under the new covenant. You're free from that. It's all clean. You may eat. You remember when, uh, when the Lord appeared to Peter, and he said, he showed him this blanket of, like, grub, and Peter's like, I can't do that, Lord. And Jesus is like, no, Peter, it's on. Like, you can eat this thing. So, so if a Jew was thinking about, you know, it's, it's time to have a, a crab feast or a lobster fest or a catfish fry or, you know, you're going to have a, a bacon-wrapped ham sandwich, like, amen, you know? Like, that would have been hard for them. They, they, they wouldn't, have in good conscience, been able to do that because their conscience was weak on that issue. So let's say that they're all at the potluck after church, hypothetically. And let's say that they're there with the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are all chowing down on some pork ribs and got some crawfish. What's happening in the hearts of these Jewish brothers and sisters? They're looking over at them, and they're condemning them. How, how can they do that? And then the Gentiles are looking over at their Jewish buddies with their kosher plate, and they're like, They've got this gaze of superiority looking down on them, thinking, wow, what legalistic prudes. They don't even get it. Then they had similar issues with with days. Remember back in verse 5. So so, do you have to celebrate Sabbaths and feasts and festivals, which the Jews would have said yes, or all days the same, like Gentiles would say. So let's say uh, you've 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 got Jerry the Gentile, okay? After service, he goes home. He mows his lawn on the Sabbath. Then he, he pops up in a cold one, and he sits down in his yard, and he, he enjoys that. But then you've got Jackie the Jew, who's across the street, who looks over and thinks what? How can they love God and do that? It's the, it's the Lord's Day. I'm not even sure that they're a Christian. You can see how that could be a big deal. How it can make tension happen in in a church. Because it becomes an issue of can we love each other? Can we eat together? Can we play together? Can Can we be on mission together for the glory of God? Can we, like we saw at the end of 15, 6, can we with one voice glorify God's name together? Can we do that? Do you think that disagreements on non-essential, uh, non-essential issues was only something that churches in the first century had to worry about? That's someone who's been in a church for a while, okay? No. I bet that there are people in this church who have strong convictions about issues that the Bible gives freedom in. For instance, should Christians homeschool or public school? You ever seen a homeschooler hiss at a school bus? You ever seen a public school parent look down in scorn at those kids who are going to be socially awkward? You think that can happen? What about breastfeeding? I have a buddy who he said his church almost got split because a woman went on a breastfeeding crusade Nazi thing, like just went crazy in his church. And was like, Similax of the devil, everybody needs to breastfeed. How about alcohol? You think Christians have differing opinions on alcohol? 
Now, we're not talking about drunkenness here. Whether you're weak or strong in regards to your convictions, the Bible is crystal clear drunkenness is a sin. So we're not talking about that. But we're talking about, can you have a beer at the ball game? Can you have wine with your friends at, over a meal? How about dancing? Are Christians free to dance? So for instance, for me, this is an area that I'm weak in. Not just because I can't dance, all right? <laughs> I can't dance. Which is, but all my dancing, it was all before I knew Jesus, okay? It was a different kind of dancing. And I tell you what, when I think about dancing now, I can't think of one way that I would move my body in that way. It would bring any glory to Jesus, I promise you. It ain't that funny, all right? But listen, y'all, here in a couple weeks, we're going to have a Nigerian wedding downstairs. You think somebody's going to want to dance at that? You got any Nigerian friends? How about women working outside the home? Are mothers allowed to work outside the home? I have another friend who had somebody get up at a Bible study, begin the Bible study. She said, women who work are in sin. It's an awkward Bible study after that, I suppose, but do you think people have strong convictions on that issue? What about movies or TV shows? Can Christians watch television, period? Can, can Christians watch a rated R movie that's not the passion of the Christ? Or is that worldly? Certainly need discernment, but there's differing opinions for sure. What about birth control? So we're not talking about abortion here. Abortion is a grave sin. If there's conception, it's God has given life and hands off, no matter what. But we're talking about here, can, can married couples use contraceptives? Or, or should we all be the Duggars? Like 19 kids, let's go. Is that, what, is that what Jesus really wants? What about dating? I'm not talking about, can a Christian date a non-Christian? That's crystal clear. No, that's sin. But I'm talking about, can Christians date? What about online dating? You think there's discussion on that? Oh, yeah. What about holidays? Can Christians celebrate Halloween? Or should you turn off your lights? Or do you have to have a reformation party? Or, or can, your, you know, can your little girl dress up like Dora the Explorer? Is that okay? Christians have differing opinions on that. What about the way we think about Christmas and Easter? How do you talk about particular issues that come up at that time? Christians have differing opinions on that as well. How about the American flag? Should a church have an American flag in it if you're in America? Should you, should you do that because this is the country that we're in and we should have it as a reminder that we need to be praying for our country and its leaders? Or should we not have an American flag in here because we're about the gospel supremely and we wouldn't want to be distracting? There's differing opinions on that. What about drums? I'm trying to touch everything, okay? What about drums? Is that worldly? Or should some of this music have a heartbeat? There's differing opinions. I could go on, but I will stop. But I want to be clear on something right here. We are not talking about issues of clear biblical teaching this morning. All of those things that I just listed out are not issues of crystal clear, essential gospel revelation. 
Okay, so we're not talking about drunkenness. That's a sin. We're not talking about sex outside of marriage. That's a sin. We're not talking about being deceitful and stealing from your employer. That's a sin. But there are many lesser issues that God gives freedom on, and not all Christians come to the same conclusions. So, some in this room felt restricted in regards to some of the areas that I just listed. In this passage, Paul would call them weak. He would call them the weak brother or sister. Not meaning that they are necessarily less spiritually mature, but that their faith is weak in that area, and they believe it's wrong to embrace that freedom. And at the same time, there are people who feel freedom in these areas, and Paul will call them the strong brother or sister. Not that they're more spiritually uh, mature necessarily, but that they, they understand that there's freedom for them to enjoy certain things. And what we've got to know is that both sets of Christians... Weak or strong can be in love with Jesus and honor him in everything that they are doing and still have differing opinions. And I suspect that all of us are kind of a mixed bag on this issue. Most of us probably feel strong in some areas and weak in in other areas. We're all different and God works in each of us at different rates and in different ways. So you might ask the question, all right, why do Christians have differing opinions? Why is it like that? Well, 1 Corinthians 8 says that sometimes it's because there's a lack of knowledge. There's a misunderstanding about the freedom that is in Christ. There's a misunderstanding of, of the gospel. Maybe even a misunderstanding about what it means to, just, to, to be justified, standing right because of what Christ has done. Sometimes it's because of past associations with sin. So, for instance, there's some music I just can't listen to. When I turn it on, like, I want to hit somebody, or I want to go to the club, or I want to do I just feel it stir up stuff in me that makes me want to sin. I'm weak in that area. Sometimes it's just the way that God has led us. There's all kinds of different reasons why we might have different opinions. And Paul, if you'll notice in this text, he doesn't go into why we have the differing opinions. He focuses, rather, on how we should deal with them. So this week and next week, we're going to spend a lot of time thinking about how should we handle these convictions. We're going to spend a lot more time next week thinking about particularly how should we limit freedoms and those kinds of things. That's more next week. But right now, I want us to to think a little bit more about how we hold these opinions before God. Okay, so we're still under point one with opinions. It's, It's our longest section, but I'm going to give you two things to think about in regards to the way you should hold whatever opinion, conviction you have from the Lord on these non-essential areas. Number one, hold your opinion in light of the gospel. So under opinions, one thing to remember is hold your opinion in light of the gospel. So in Christ, you are free from the law. The only law that a Christian is to follow is the law of Christ which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I think you can see how many of the laws of the Old Testament fit into that. We even saw that in chapter 13. So for the Romans, they needed to know that all foods are clean, and they are free to eat. Jesus said it in Mark 7. Uh, Jesus said it again in Acts 10. They also needed to know that Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath, the feasts, and the festivals. You can read Hebrews. So in that sense... There's no day that's more important than than another. They also read Galatians. They would need to rest in the gospel. 
knowing that Jesus is their righteousness. So whatever convictions they may have or we may have, you've got to know the truth is that we are free in Christ and that our standing before God is based solely on whether we've trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior or not. That's why we're accepted before God. So have your convictions. We'll see that in a moment. Have your convictions, but hold them in light of the gospel so that you will not be tricked into seeing your opinions wrongly or seeing others wrongly in light of these opinions. So if you're one who is weak in faith on issues that are not essential, hold your convictions in light of the gospel. Don't try to find your righteousness, your acceptance before God, in keeping rules that you believe are right. Keep those rules, we'll talk about that, but, but don't do it so that you can say, look, I never drank a beer. Or, or I never danced, or I never did this, or I never did that, or I did this, this, and this. Like, that's not your righteousness. Now, if you're convicted in that way, you'll see in a moment that we, we need to obey the conscience, because that's obeying the Lord. But we've got to know that Jesus fulfilled every law that God required on your behalf, and he died for every law that you broke, and then he rose from the dead that we might have freedom in him. So embrace the gospel and delight in it. That honors God. Now, if you're strong in faith on issues that are not essential, hold your convictions in light of the gospel. Meaning, Jesus sets us free to walk in holiness. Look down at 1416. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. One of the ways this happens, so next week we'll see how you do that by hurting other people. One of the other ways that this happens is if you turn your freedom into a license for sinning. Don't think that grace means that you're free to do whatever you want. Grace means we're free to do what honors the Lord. You've got to remember, sin is not freedom. It's a lie. So to take some kind of freedom of conscience that you have in a particular area and use that to just go do whatever you want, that's sinning against God. Hold your conviction in light of the gospel. So the second thing under opinions here is hold your opinion in honor of the Lord. Hold your opinion in honor of the Lord. So hold it in light of the gospel. Now hold it in honor of the Lord. So regardless of whether you're convicted that you're free on an issue or that you're weak on an issue, honoring the Lord must always be our primary aim. Okay? So whether I'm dancing or not dancing, well, for me it's not dancing and some other friends dancing, like the, the goal of that ultimately should be Christ. Honor Him. Look, look down at 5 and 6 again. Verse four, chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. And the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So whatever your conviction is, hold it in a way that seeks to honor the Lord, to make much of him, not much of you. 
Part of the way you honor the Lord is by obeying your conscience. So did you notice verse 5? Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. What's interesting about that is that that's not a suggestion. It's actually a command. It's a passive imperative. So imperative is a command. Passive means it happens to you. So what that means is we're commanded to let something happen to us. Let God convict you in whatever area he's convicting you in. Let him do that. Now, you need to be clear because when you feel strongly about one of these issues that I listed or the others that could fall into the category, it will be very easy for you to reason as to why everybody else is wrong on this issue. It's it's very easy to do that. But you have to remember that just because you're convinced of it doesn't mean it's the only right way to view it. Now, it's the way that you should view it, but another brother or sister may be convinced by the Lord in a very different way. This is why humility is required. This is why we stare at the cross, because that's where humility is given, seeing Christ who was crucified for us. So whatever God has convinced you of, honor the Lord by following through in faith. If it's for you to partake, partake in faith. If it's to abstain, abstain in faith. And just because it's a minor matter doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Look at chapter 14, verse 23. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. By eating is, uh, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So I think it would be sinful for me to, to dance. Unless I'm slow dancing with my wife. That's different. My conscience is clear on that. But the other, I, I think I would be in sin if I did that. Not just because it's bad, but, like, but because I really think God has convicted me in that way to not do that. Though other people are free to do that. As long as it's done in a way that honors the Lord. So though an issue may not be sin for others, it is sin for you if God has convicted you in this way. And because Jesus has given his life for us, now we must seek to please him with our lives. Look at verses 7 through 9. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. So whether in our life or in our dying breath, We must be a people who look to honor Jesus, who look to him as our Lord, and that everything we do, in strength or in weakness, is to say, I want to honor you with my life. That's what we should be about. And what happens is when Jesus is big and seeking to please him is big, when we've got the idea that whether I'm living or whether I'm dying, it's all about Christ, all these other issues, they take their proper place. They sit down in a way that only Christ should be exalted and the gospel should be exalted. So that's the issue of of opinions. And one way to make sure that we are honoring the Lord is to ensure that the posture of our hearts toward others is one of grace, not judgmentalism. Which brings us to our second heading, posture. So that was opinions. This is posture. I'm not talking about standing up straight. I'm talking about a posture of the heart here. 
So what's the posture of your heart towards brothers and sisters who have differing opinions than you? And we need to think about this because our heart will be tempted toward evil in this way. Look again at chapter 14, verse verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. You notice that? He says, have each other into one another's homes. You should be doing that as Christians. That's the normal thing for Christians to do. Fellowship together. Be in each other's homes. Eat you some meals. But don't just send out an invite. So let's, let's say that you're the, you know, let's say you're the, the, the homeschooler, okay? Which, listen, praise God for homeschoolers. But you, you want to you have a, a secret meeting where you want to convince everybody that public school is of Satan? You go bring everybody over and watch a Vody Balkum video, okay? You're about, to, you're about to get them. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Be the kind of believer who welcomes others into your home, but don't do it to fight over opinions. Don't go picking a fight with each other. Okay? Now, important question. Should we talk about our differences? Yes. Yes, yes. If, if we don't, we will only have a facade of unity. So if everybody's walking around and be like, hey, brother, how are you, sisters? Pagan. You're like, if that's, what, if that's what's going on, like, I ain't no unity there. True unity and fellowship and trust and love flows out of relationships that are real and open and marked by humble discussions where we listen to each other. So, so for me, one of the biggest blessings in my two years of being here at this church is Butch, okay? So I'm about, I'm about, yeah, I'm about to make, yeah, you. So Butch has been here for a bazillion years, okay? He's been here for a really long time. So I've come into this church, and anytime we think about changing something, I always talk to Butch because I know that people have differing opinions on differing things and it has been good for me to see that Butch, he wants to honor the Lord. He's prayed for this church. He's labored here. He's been here through hard days, through good days. He loves Delray Baptist Church because he loves the Lord and what God's doing here. And it's been good for me to sit down with him and I say, Butch, what do you think about this? And he's like, oh, brother, I don't know about that. Or I'll ask him about something else, and he'll be like, oh, yeah, we've been waiting for that. And, and, and we hear each other out and talk about it. I'm in no rush. There's things that need to change, but I'm, listen, Jesus is coming back, and we hope he's going to come back soon, but, like, I plan to be here until I die. But we're going to have differing opinions on things, right? I mean, you're a Redskins fan. I ain't no Redskins. Yeah, like, so, I mean, we're going to have differing opinions, but we're going to love each other, and we're going to talk about our differences. That brings glory to God, I think. So thank you for, for helping me, Butch. And, and when we talk, we don't want to just talk to prove a point, but we really want to grow in our understanding of each other. Do you understand why your brother or sister feels the way they do about a particular issue? Not just how is this affecting me in my life, but if you sat down and humbly said, okay, listen, there's obviously some differences here. Let's talk about this. It's the only way Christians should act. It's the only way Christians should act. And I just want to say, listen, in a day and age where there's wonderful blessings of social media and email and Facebook and all that kind of stuff, there can be a great danger of trying to discuss 
vital and difficult and really sensitive and extraordinarily important issues in venues other than face-to-face. Now, I'm not saying you can't ever talk about things in that way. We've all done that, and I think there's a place for it. But let's love each other, and one way I think we do that is by saying, let's get together and talk face-to-face. I think that's a really good thing. I actually heard of that happening this, this week. Praise God for that. Thank you for that. And if it's not face-to-face, phone-to-phone is good. Okay, start there. So I would ask you, what makes it tough for you to humbly discuss disagreements with others? What is it that's hard? For me, it's pride. And I like to be in control. And I want to be comfortable. And when somebody threatens my control or my comfort level because they want to do something, that I'm like, mm, that's hard for me. May God make us a church who humbly love and listen to each other. Look again at verses 2 and 3. One person believes that he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. That's probably a Jew who didn't want to eat anything unclean like, like Daniel when he was in Babylon. Verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Did you see the reason? Don't be tearing each other down. Jesus has welcomed each other. Not so you can stiff-arm each other on issues of importance, but not essential importance. And did you notice the particular temptations that each of us face? If you're the one who is strong and eats in verse 3, he tells you not to despise the one who abstains. So to despise means to look down on someone with contempt. So if you've got freedom, you'll be tempted to look down from your perch of righteousness, looking down and scoffing at people who who aren't exhibiting the same freedoms. Look at that legalist there. They're so shallow in their walk with God. They're such prudes. They probably even get the gospel. God says, no. Don't treat them like that. And, And then if you're the one who is weak and abstains, he tells you that, to not pass judgment on the one who eats. So to pass judgment means to evaluate them with an eye of condemnation. You'll be tempted to think that they're, they're probably spiritually calloused. Probably got some secret sin that's hardened their heart against God. That's why they can do that. I'm sure they're not stopping with one or two beers. They're probably already drunk. Paul says that both of these temptations of judging and despising are traps that we need to avoid. Our posture as believers should be, now hear this please, if you zoomed out, zoom back in. Our posture as believers should be to assume that the other person who has a different opinion of us is trying to honor Jesus. You've got to assume that. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love hopes all things. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not normally my default. My default is to be like, well, I'm sure they this or that. But the, the gospel teaches us, no, no, no. You don't know other people's motives. Assume that they want to honor the Lord. We should assume that the weak think that by abstaining from meat or wine or whatever else, that they're better able to glorify God that way. And we should assume that the strong think that by partaking of meat or wine or whatever else, 
that they're better able to glorify God who gives all things to and be enjoyed. So I'd ask you, what, under this section of posture, what, what do you find the posture of your heart doing? Are there, are there particular opinions that you find yourself being judgmental about? Easily judgmental about? Be careful. Look at 14.4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. That is intended to sober us. He says, your brother or sister whom you're speaking evil against with your words or scowling at in your heart, they belong to me. That's my servant you're talking about. And I welcome them. So I want to encourage us, when, when we are tempted to judge our fellow sinner, let us look to Jesus. Look at, look at Christ. Look at Jesus who is judged for our judgmentalism. Consider his cross and that he, ha- he hung there for your sins and for the sins of the person whom you're judging. So in that sense, when you hurl insults at your brother or sister, you stand with the crowd that, that hurled insults at Jesus. Because in Christ, we are in Christ. We were nailed to the cross with him by faith. And we stand raised to walk in the newness of life with him. And that, that kind of posture of the heart that looks to Christ and looks to the cross and remembers how much mercy we have received, that helps us to not condemn those against whom God finds no condemnation. Jesus was judged for their sin. They are his servants. It's God's job to judge people. It's our job to love them. It's God's job to change people. It's our job to love them. Now listen, we must take sin seriously, but we must also take the gospel seriously. And that's going to show itself by the way that we love one another. So there are room... There is room for differences at the table of the king. So in this church, we have differing convictions, but we have the same confidence before God, who is Jesus. We have differing opinions, but we have the same objective, which is to honor Jesus. We have differing beliefs on non-essential issues, but we have the same blood-bought hope of heaven, rooted in Jesus. And since we have that same hope, Let us be a church that keeps Jesus big and differences small. Even the ones that are weighty to us. We're to be a people who accept each other, not ostracize each other. We're supposed to be welcome to each other, not wearing each other out with opinions. We're to be encouraging, not condemning. We're to have a heart of service, not of superiority. We're to seek to build up, not tear down. We're to listen to each other, not lash out at each other. We're to be a people who correct each other, yes, because love does that, but not criticize each other over petty things. 
We should seek to be a people who are helping each other, not judging each other. We are to be a people of peace for the glory of God. That's what should mark us as a church. Some of you are a little nervous right there. You're like, that's awful loving, Pastor. Shh, does this mean that, that, that we should never judge each other in any way? Of course it doesn't mean that. Of course it doesn't mean that. We're not a community where subjectivity rules. We are a community of grace and truth. Because of that, we must challenge each other and keep each other accountable. Yes, I need that. I need people in my life to help me with that. We have a biblical responsibility toward each other to guard each other from sin. But the way we do it is very important. Jesus told us that when we, when we judge each other, we must first take the log out of our own eye so that we won't be blind hypocrites who go around hurting each other. We must help each other fight sin, but our posture must be one of humility. Always seeking to honor God, and if there's broken relationships, to bring restoration. And you know what? If we all have that kind of posture, it helps us to be a church that doesn't bite and devour each other over things that ultimately have very little to do with the gospel itself. We are to be a people who love each other and despite our differences. And I just I do want to say, like, I think we do this pretty well. Like, we're in D.C., we're in Northern Virginia, all kinds of, like, A-type personalities. There's some very opinionated people in our church, okay? You're pastored by an opinionated person. But I really think that God in his mercy has marked us with a spirit of humility toward each other. And I know that not everybody agrees on everything, and there's, there's this and that, but, like, thank you for looking to Christ and making much of him. I believe God will bless that. But let us be careful. There's, there's no better way, I think, for us to show that, that Jesus is worthy to be worshipped than this. That, that the world would look at us and wonder, why would all of these people who disagree on so many issues, I mean, that church has both Democrats and Republicans in it. How is that, that's a miracle. How is that even possible? That they could disagree on so many issues some that they feel super passionate about, but that they would, they would spend their lives caring for and serving one another. There's only one answer to how that happens. It's Romans 15.3. Because we look to the one who did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of the, those who reproached you fell on me. We have a common Savior who served saved us. One who has welcomed us despite our differences, not because he overlooked them, but because he was crushed for them. We are rebels. We were rebels, but the reproaches of our rebellion fell on him so that we might be reconciled with God and with each other to dine together around the table of the king. Which in a couple minutes, that's what we're going to do through the Lord's Supper. It's a reminder that we have unity in Christ whose body and blood were given for us. That meal will help us keep perspective. And it's not the only thing that helps us to keep perspective. 
The idea that one day we will give an account before the Lord. That helps us with number three, perspective. Perspective. So a sobering reality that every Christian carries with them is that one day we will give an account for the way that we've lived our lives as believers. So as Christians, we don't fear judgment for our sins because Jesus was judged on the cross for our sins. But we do tremble at the fact that one day God will call us to give an account of how we have lived. Particularly, when you look through the New Testament, in the way that we have dealt with one another. The way we have loved others. Look at chapter 14, verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Please hear this. Whether we are weak or strong in faith on certain issues will not matter on that last day when we stand before the Lord. What will matter is how we responded to God and to those around us. We will give an account. So if you're not a Christian here this morning, I want to say thank you for coming. Um, I know sometimes that takes a lot for somebody to come into kind of a, uh, a place that you're not used to. We think it's a great place for you to be here. We're glad you're here. We hope you stick around for the meal afterwards and, and get to know us a little bit. But I want to say to you, as someone who, who understands what it means to be somebody who doesn't follow Jesus, I didn't come to know Jesus until I was 21, that this reality should terrify you. One day you will stand before the God of heaven and give an account for your life. The book of Revelation tells us that on that day of judgment that books will be opened and that we will be judged by what is written in those books. Those books are the chronicles of our lives. Everything will be opened and laid bare before the one with whom we have to do. We will stand before a perfect God who knows everything we've ever done everything we've ever said, every motive we've ever had. Can you imagine that? I mean, what would it be like if we put on this screen behind me everything that you've looked at on the internet over the past month, every thought you've had toward your employer or employees over the past month, every conversation that you've had with someone else, every motive that you have. I don't know about you, but I would be ashamed. I'd be terrified. I'd run. Because I'm still a sinner. And that's in a room full of sinners. How much more before a holy, perfect God in whom there is no sin? We will have no ability to stand on that final day. You will, as our text says, fall on your knees and your tongue will cry out for mercy from the Lord. There will be no mercy on that day for those who have not trusted in Christ. There's no time to make things right after you die. That's why the scriptures say today is the day of salvation. I don't say this just to scare you. I say it because it's true. Today is the day of mercy. So if you're here and you, you don't follow Jesus and you hear God's voice calling to you, 
Do not harden your heart against your maker. Come to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you for your many sins and receive the forgiveness that he purchased with his blood on the cross and secured by rising from the dead. If this is you, please do not leave this room today without talking to somebody, either somebody you came with or one of our other members. We'd be glad to talk with you. I'd be glad to talk with you. And if you are a Christian, I want you to hear this, that our day of judgment is different, but it will still happen. As I said, we will not be judged for our sins. Jesus died for those. They are paid in full. But we will give an account for how we lived as Christians. Romans chapter 2, verse 6 says this, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. So if you are in Christ, we will have books opened as well on that last day. And where sins once stained the pages, the blood of the justice that flowed down from the cross of Calvary will blot out all those testimonies against us. That is true. So then we ask, well, what, what about my sin as a believer? Well, it's paid in full as well. But in some sense, it seems that we will give an account for it. Not to pay for it in judgment. That's paid for. But we will give an account. What will that giving of an account look like? I'm not sure. But I suspect it will be much more revealing and penetrating than anything we could imagine. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says that when Jesus comes, he will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of of the heart, and he will render to each one and receive his commendation from God. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that we may each receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Christians, you will not give an account for the way that others treated you, but you will give an account for the way that you treated others how you spoke to them and how you spoke about them. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Do you extend mercy to others? Do you forgive? Do you show patience? We will give an account. Husbands, you will not give an account for your wives, but you will give an account for the way that you loved your wives. Men, who are married, are you harsh with your bride? Or do you speak tenderly to her as Christ has spoken tenderly to you through his spirit? We will give an account. Wives, you won't give an account for your husbands. So you'll give an account for the way that you loved your husbands. Are you honoring to your husbands as Jesus honored his father? We will give an account. Children, you will not give an account for your parents' imperfections, but you will give an account for whether you honored and obeyed them. Parents, you will not give an account for your children's sins, but you will give an account for the way that you taught them about God through things that you did or did not do. Fellow pastors and elders, me included, we will give an account for this flock. The one for whom Christ died, 
That's why we must lead humbly in love and in truth and in vigilance. All of us who are Christians, we will give an account for the way that we have lived as believers. Should that make you tremble? I believe it should. But it should also make you hope. Because Jesus, before whom you will give an account, is the same Jesus who will make you to stand on that day. Chapter 14, verse 4 says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus will make you to stand on the last day, no matter how much you've sinned as a Christian. How will that happen? He will intercede for us. As those same books that were opened, where words of condemnation once testified, words of confirmation will now be found. We will see how even in the midst of our sin, the Spirit of God helped us to offer up imperfect obedience, done in faith, with hearts that sought to honor and to glorify Him, and how when we didn't, we cried out for mercy. All of that is evidence that we are His. And that on that last day, we will stand in the gospel. What does that mean in regards to rewards? And what does it mean to be commended for our lives? I don't know. I I don't know. What we know is that our great reward will be Jesus. And that we will see him. And that our great longing should be to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And that will not be heard apart from trusting in him fully. May we be a church who do not squabble over opinions. But let us be a church who has a posture towards one another of humility and love with a perspective that one day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, ready to be made stand because, be able to stand because of our Savior. Let us hope in that. And let that hope change the way that we love each other. That we might with one voice give glory to our God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus, the one who is our righteousness. And Father, we ask that you might make us a church who make much of him. Father, if even in this morning, as we talked about some of these different things, our feathers were ruffled, And we were frustrated. Oh God, would you, by your spirit, woo us home that we might know you and love you and rest in you. And Father, as we now partake of this supper that you have called us to do in remembrance of Jesus, let us do this in remembrance of the one who is righteous in our place. We thank you for Christ and we pray it all in his name. And everyone said, Amen.